0: Thought Capital, no cash changes hands, energy justice, tax incentives, environmental concerns, resource taxation, highly competitive, Australia is missing out, the social disorganisation theory.
1: We cannot think of China as just one big market. Hello, I'm Michael Pascoe. Welcome to Thought Capital, the podcast that delves into the wealth of ideas created by the experts at Monash Business School in Melbourne, Australia.
0: The argument has always been that consumption taxes are regressive, but I don't really buy that. Lower income groups buy a lot less stuff. And if you're going to be in the the million-dollar-plus category, your total purchases will will be many times the multiple of a low-income earner.
1: Let's pretend for a moment we're going on a journey to a paradise. Not just any paradise, a tax paradise. Not talking here about the tropical island Caribbean type tax paradise but mm, the ultimate tax system. in this episode I'm talking with Wayne Gumley, senior lecturer in the Department of Business Law and Taxation about what the perfect taxation system would look like in Australia and why we may never get there or could we Hello Wayne, welcome to the podcast What would tax paradise look like to you?
0: Thank you Michael. Uh- my paradise would be a tax system where where there was no distortions of consumption and investment decisions. Unfortunately, the Australian tax system is a long way from that. We have a tax system that's built upon a long history of concessions and factional interests and even some of the fundamental uh, concepts of the system, like the income concept, mean that it is rapidly getting out of date. No
1: distortions of decisions. It sounds all about efficiency, from an economic point of view. Does that include the societal question of a progressive system?
0: Yes, I believe it does. Uh, I, mean, I think the most obvious distortion a- at present is the overinvestment in real estate and particularly uh, family homes, where you know the younger generations are being excluded from. The, the fairness of, of being able to get into the market. And that can be directly uh, attributed to our capital gains tax regime uh, and and various other concessions that are built into the, the system, including negative gearing, of course. What's your favourite sort of tax? Let's turn that theory into money in the pocket or out of the pocket. Well, I must say I'm, I'm a fan of consumption taxes, having uh, taught income tax for, for many years, you become acutely aware of all the defects in the income tax base and it's it's a perfect playing field for multinational corporations or wealthy investors to pick and choose and, and uh, avoid the system as best they can. At the other end of the spectrum, of course, you have uh, us poor salary and wage earners who get taxed to the full measure on, on uh, you know the full amount of income coming from a, a regular job.
1: In your tax paradise, it would only be consumption tax?
0: Oh, no. Uh, I think you certainly need to have that progressive element on the income side. However, I think there's a good case for reducing the top marginal rates and getting rid of the the arbitrage between uh, individuals and corporates, for example, and also the, the trust income splitting arena. And also you have to bring the corporates on board because we're not going anywhere without their consent. And if we um, intend to increase consumption taxes, and I I will include in that resource taxation, I believe Australia is missing out on on a large slice of tax revenue in those sectors.
1: Land tax, a favourite of mine.
0: Land tax, I think the experts would say is quite an efficient tax and a fair one. And it certainly adds progressivity to the system. We're getting into the state taxation regimes now, but land tax also has lots of concessions for charitable organisations and farmers and so on, which tends to distort that field as well. And the sacred family home. (laughs) Exactly, yes.
1: In the Wayne Gumley tax paradise, you've got big GST element. Yes. Less income tax element and a flatter income tax scale by the sounds of it. Yes. Rent taxes... As in land tax, resources, rent taxes? Certainly, yes. Sounds like we're ending up with a less progressive system.
0: The argument has always been that consumption taxes are regressive, but I don't really buy that, Uh, just based on the simple fact that uh, lower income groups buy a lot less stuff. And if you're going to be in the the million dollar plus category, uh, your purchases are are pretty big. And, And the total revenue that you will sake in making those purchases will be many times the multiple of a low-income earner. But as a proportion of your income? That's a statistical artifact though, isn't it? I tend to think more in absolutes. People should contribute an absolute amount to the system. Proportions are a little bit slippery, I think. Isn't that what progression is all about? (laughs) I think progression is about vertical equity, which tends to be based upon ability to pay. And consumption is, is an equally valid measure of your ability to pay, I think, uh, as, as income is. And, and in particular, um, people who invest in property and, and uh, own businesses uh, you know, tend to have very high ability to pay, but they also make very large uh, expenditures. Is there a little bit of cart
1: before the horse here, talking about the ideal tax system without
0: establishing what sort of society you want and therefore what sort of taxes you need. Absolutely. And I think that's what's missing from the current political debate, definitely. And the suggestion that we can sign off on on long-term income tax cuts without explaining where where the money's coming from is just crazy and, and irresponsible, might I say. Last time I looked, almost every line of government expenditure is trending upwards. Think about how many submarines we might have bought recently (laughs) and where is that money coming from? It's just crazy to think that we can cut income taxes. Income taxes are so important because if you look at the budget statement, you've got about 60 or 70% of our Commonwealth revenue coming from income taxes. So It's a system that's way out of kilter. That's a quick look at paradise. (laughs) Meanwhile, back here in reality, there are
1: clearly taxes that do distort our behaviour that are inefficient, that cost us almost as much to collectors as as they raise, what are the worst taxes from your point of view? Where would you begin to reform the
0: system by getting rid of the worst first? Income tax itself has some... Unfairness attached to it, particularly at the lower income levels, where welfare recipients go out into the workforce and face that punitive fifty percent reduction of their benefits. The people with the genuine problem with <laughs> marginal tax, as opposed to those at the top who think they have. Correct, correct. So that's and 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 I mean, I could go on. There's so many distortions in the income tax space, and we can talk about small business here, uh, where the government every budget time there's a new measure introduced to assist small business, which somehow happens to in introduce a totally new set of rules with different thresholds and small business throw their hands in the air and and think, how on earth can we understand this? So it's just pushing up tax advice costs, of course, for small business, and that's certainly an unfair aspect for start-up companies with not a lot of capital.
1: Isn't one of the problems with small business tax concessions is it actually encourages businesses to stay small? As soon as you start having a differentiated system, example, payroll tax – go a dollar over the threshold, you've suddenly got $5,000 worth of compliance cost to pay a dollar in tax, so mm. oh, let's not employ another po-
0: person. Yes. See, well, there's
1: distortions every time you turn around.
0: Absolutely. In fact, uh, you've made a very good suggestion there as to um, an unfair tax, and payroll tax, I think, is, is right near the top of the heap because it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to inhibit job creation. And, and that's basically what payroll tax does. And it is, is basically just a cash cow. The revenue could come from elsewhere, such as cranking up the GST rate a few notches. We're
1: still in paradise, in theory. You And, and let's look at all taxation holistically. You'd like to reform income tax.
0: Mm.
1: And that's something that keeps being fiddled with around the edges. What about the taxes that need replacing first in terms of their inefficiency. I mean, income tax is still
0: fairly efficient. True. Fringe benefits tax comes up front and centre there. I am puzzled as to the utility of fringe benefits tax, and I am quite sure that the administration costs are, are very significant. And and basically, I think that was just an act back in the the 1980s, there was an act of political cowardice uh, in in not being prepared to make the employees pay the tax on the non-cash benefits they were receiving. So they followed a a fairly unusual model of putting the tax on employers. And there's just no gains that I can see from that. (laughs) Politics, of course, does come into it all the time Mm. in terms of what can
1: be achieved Uh, to replace stamp duty with land tax. The textbooks say that is an absolute winner from an efficiency point of view, an end of distortion. But of course, when it comes to telling people they're going to pay annually, what just a few people pay once or twice or three times with stamp duty it
0: becomes impossible. Yes, Is that an area you've looked at? Not closely, but I, I understand the the efficiency of stamp duty, because it's being levied at a time when the purchasers have just been down to the bank and they're just going to add a, a small amount to the borrowings. So the stamp duty is more or less a hidden cost. It's probably buried in their solicitor's bill and they hardly notice it. That's a big jump to suddenly now change, shift that to an annual levy, certainly. Uh, and you would have to find some compensating benefits that people could quickly recognise in order to get that through. Dividend imputation?
1: company tax. We've got a system that most of the rest of the world doesn't have. Does that make our debate about company tax rates somewhat artificial?
0: Yes, it does, doesn't it? And, and it also puts the um, the Labor Party's promise to um, knock out the refunds of franking credits for people without any other income, a pretty strange option, because the whole purpose of imputation was to pass on the company tax paid by the company to the shareholder. As a, as a credit. And or
1: was it to stop double taxation?
0: That was the mechanism. It, certainly it, it's to stop double taxation, and I've been describing the mechanism for removing double taxation. And, of course, under Labor's plan, an element of double taxation would re-emerge uh, in that the benefit of the credit is lost and that the tax is paid and not refunded.
1: I'll Why swear. do you want to reduce the company tax rate?
0: Well, Australia's... A little bit out of the ordinary. The rate is above the OECD mean, and uh, it that's doesn't make a lot of sense. St- the nominal rate. Is the effective rate that far above? No, <laughs> but that's a different problem. I think the the effective rate results from very generous concessions throughout the system, and and from it reflects some of the the distortions that have been built into the system through treating companies as a separate tax entity.
1: So. Is there a fair to ask for a caveat when the business council is stumping the table saying we want a lower tax rate? Is it fair for society to say, well, okay, if we get rid of the distortions and you'd end up paying the same rate of tax anyway? That would work for me. Part of the argument put forward in favour of a lower company tax rate is the idea that it would suddenly encourage more investment. That's a bit (laughs) of a furphy though, isn't it?
0: Well, yes, I've been reading a lot about um, Donald Trump's uh, statements in the U.S. and and the U.S. press have have been following that one for many months. This is the largest tax cut in the history of our country. It is incredible. It's going to put people to work. So right now, Sean, we are the highest taxed nation in the world and we're going to be now down in the lower rung in terms of taxes. Uh, All the evidence seems to be that that jobs don't get created by the companies who enjoy the lower tax rates. What's far more likely to happen is that there'll be share buybacks or executive remuneration increases, which are uh, tied to KPIs, such as profitability. <laughs> so I think that would certainly be a very optimistic view to take, that this would create jobs. It would tend to be a, um, a little bit more of a distortion in, in pushing wealth into the hands of executive stockholders, etc. In your tax paradise, you wouldn't have tax... Distorting
1: decisions, well, <laughs> as little as possible, Yes, but taxes are used intentionally to distort decisions. We choose to put a whopping great tax on tobacco to try to discourage people. Uh, we do give discounts for research and development to try to encourage research and development would you allow some of those
0: things in your paradise? Absolutely. I, I mean, otherwise you're taking a view that markets are perfect and, and governments have to intervene because markets are clearly not perfect and there seems to be a continuing supply of fossil fuels. The fact is that it is now taking a lot more energy and resources to extract every barrel of oil and uh, and gas uh, is now being extracted by fracking, which is decimating farming land and lots of other problems like that. So the cost of these, this resource use that we are addicted to is escalating. And, and in fact, I've seen some research recently that the fracking industry is still running at a loss, even though it's heralded as the saviour of the gas industry. So um, who is paying for this loss? The oil that is um, produced out of the Canadian tar sands apparently consumes more energy than is contained in a barrel of oil that is produced. This is a, a loss of natural capital, that is not being accounted for by our conventional accounting systems. So that's one market failure that needs to be addressed by intervention like carbon pricing and, and resource pricing.
1: Well, we did have a carbon price for a little while there. It became a major <coughs> political issue. <coughs> it was
0: scrapped. You'd have it back again. I would have some form of carbon pricing. I think there was a lot of mistakes as well as misinformation around the introduction of, of the carbon price. Strangely, the government went for a very complicated system. The carbon price saga is very unfortunate because it, it gave the uh, opponents to that scheme a lot of easy points to hit at. But it did have one really important impact, and that was to shift the tax base away from income towards resources. And, and that proved to be very successful. It stimulated a lot of uh, innovation in renewable energy, stimulated energy efficiency. There was businesses throughout Australia earning a dividend out of the carbon price because they suddenly invested in energy efficiency and put in their LED lights, etc. And And lo and behold, they halved their energy bills, but paid an extra 10% because of the, the carbon price. <laughs> so the mathematics was pretty good. All sorts of claims get made <laughs> about tax – lies, damn
1: lies, statistics and tax policy. Um, with the consumption tax, because that's something you're hot on, what do you want to do first up in your in your reform? Do you want to
0: broaden it or increase it, or both? If you look at the uh, the tax expenditure statement there, I think the consumption tax concessions weigh up to about 20000000000 Uh billion. They're the exemptions for food, education, financial services. The total take at present is about $60 billion, uh, at 10%. So we're talking real money here. You could completely renovate our tax system if the government were to bite the bullet and pursue GST reform. By doubling the rate, they've got $60 billion in additional revenue. By extending the base, there could be 20 to $40 billion more. They don't have to do both if it's too politically sensitive to bring in food, etc. However, when we talk about efficiency, consumption tax, including our GST, are very effective at addressing the black economy. And that's one of the things that's been on the table lately as well. And in fact, you know some of the Phoenix schemes involving GST avoidance have been addressed by legislation. But the fact that we're leaving out the fresh food sector in particular, which you know is, is a bit of a notorious uh, cash economy area anyway, and financial services, well, the good thing about GST is it creates that audit trail across the whole economy, which can add great integrity to the tax system.
1: My favourite example of the GST folly is that the live chook you pay GST on, the dead, cold, uncooked chook, <laughs> there's no GST, the hot, cooked chook, there's GST, you can have a hot, cold bits of chook and not pay, it's, it's a mess. Yes,
0: eat it on the premises, <laughs> GSD free.
1: <laughs> but at the same time, politically, it's been proven to be untouchable. Uh, neither side of politics has the political capital, or the leadership to tackle it. Mm. So this means we stumble
0: on with the <coughs> system. We're not going to get to paradise, are we? So it would take a very strong majority in, at the Commonwealth level to really push that one. Unless, of course... Somehow, you know, a way could be found to smooth the waters for the states. But I agree, politically, very difficult.
1: One of the regular headlines in the, in the tax debate at present is, of course, the degree of tax avoidance or evasion by
0: multinationals. We're getting better, but we have further to go. This is um, a part of our historical problem because our tax system was proven to be inadequate in the 1980s when, as Paul Keating said, an avalanche of evasion and avoidance had beaten the system, when it was a very simple, historically uh, narrow system. Then we introduced those big reforms to try to capture, I think what was happening in Australia was um, a great growth and and wealth accumulation happening during that period, but it was still mainly a local economy. And what's happened since then, of course, is we've had globalisation, free trade, digital technology sweeping the world, and our economy is totally different again. And and the tax system is in crisis because it, it hasn't kept up with that sweeping change across the global economy.
1: And there is another problem again. Local politics are bad enough, but you can't really get a Google tax, so to speak, because the Americans don't want you to. Big companies own their politicians, and take that to the world. Yes. Oh, look, from an idealistic view of paradise, we've come back to harsh reality of politics getting in the way of tax reform. What do you think is possible rather than what is ideal?
0: Well, there's some promising science from the opposition uh, in tackling negative gearing and reducing the CGT discount. And they do also intend to attack the uh, franking credits for uh, high-income earners, let's say. That's a step in the right direction. At least they're thinking about it. The negative gearing scare was the scare that didn't at the last election. (laughs) Medi-scare (laughs) worked politically,
1: but it looked like the attempts to scare the population about Labor's negative gearing changes didn't get traction. Is the population perhaps prepared to do more to get the right sort of tax system than our politicians
0: expect? I think so, yes. Negative gearing shouldn't be viewed as an all-or-nothing reform. There's moderate changes that can be made. Limiting negative gearing to one investment property would be quite a fair thing and giving people upward mobility. And once you get beyond one, I would suggest that you're out of the ordinary then Nothing wrong with that, and likewise with capital gains tax concessions, if we capped the, the primary residence concession at a modest level, that would be perfectly acceptable, I think, from an equity point of view, and uh, and very positive, because it would be seen as clearly targeting the wealthy.
1: Wayne Gumley, it looks like we're not going to get to paradise any time soon, but it's certainly fun contemplating it. Thanks for talking to us. You're welcome, Michael. Thank you. You've been listening to Thought Capital from Monash Business School. You can find out more at monash.edu forward slash impact. Thought Capital is produced by Tina Zanu. Editing and post-production by Nadia Hume. Technical support by Gareth Popplestone. Executive producer is Helen Westerman.